I'm Michael Maloney, founder of Satellite Design for Recovery. I am Jason Aspiotis, founder and CEO of Finsafi. I am Ralph Dinsley, known as Dins. I'm the uh, executive director and founder of Northern Spaces Security. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. Each facility will house hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And of course, the idea is to have most of those people as being paying tenants. But we will need to have uh, people who are growing food uh, because we're not going to be importing food. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be growing everything that we need to, to eat and sustain ourselves. Uh, we're going to be recycling everything. Um, so, you know, you're going to need people there who are going to be growing things and, and fixing things and maintaining things and, and helping, you know, the tenants and their needs. So there are going to be staff on site. Welcome back to the Cold Star Project. I'm your host, Jason Canigan, the founder of Cold Star Technologies, a data science and process improvement firm. That means we make good companies run better. And I'm here with Bill Kemp. He is the CEO and founder of United Space Structures. And uh, I wanted you on, Bill, because we, we ran into each other and started talking about the business model for uh, USS. And I think it's really, um, not only is it cool, but it's, it's thinking big, it's necessary somebody's going to do something like it, and why not you <laughs> and, and the team that you've got? And uh, I, I want to be able to broadcast great ideas with this show. So that's why you are here. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. So folks who don't know Bill, he has a pretty good background in a number of technical areas. He, his education is in interior architecture, which um, you know turns out to be pretty important on the thing that we're looking at here today. Uh, he has designed um, 34 tier four data centers. Uh, so there's a lot of brain power here. Some research facilities, command centers, hospitals. Um, you've been an architectural designer and project manager for these things. And there's a phrase here, mission critical multidiscipline engineering, <laughs> architectural designer and project manager. Uh, I, that adds some weight to it, doesn't it, when you say mission critical? So <laughs> let's, let's dig into um, what you are trying to accomplish here with United Space Structures. What's the gist of the idea? Well, United Space Structures, USS, is a uh, real estate development company. Um, we, uh, uh, we're going to be designing and building the facilities uh, on the moon uh, initially and later on, on Mars. Um, but it's very much a real estate development uh, project in that um, we're gonna own, operate, and uh, lease out space within our facilities uh, to a variety of different tenants uh, who wanna have access to the moon for a variety of different reasons. Excellent, and that's, that's the short version. There's been a lot that has gone into this. The more I dug into it, the more I was like, okay, and you, you and I have talked for about an hour or something like that uh, beforehand to, to get into the details here. So uh, a lot of space founders that I've talked to before running into you would have approached this purely from the technical aspect, right? We want to do something cool and, and let's build a structure or something like that. And you've approached it with the business model in mind first, which is, I think, the, the proper idea. So tell us about lunar infrastructure is, is kind of the technical means to the end here of providing that. Tell us about the, the structure. What is it going to look like? So the structure is actually built within a lava tube. Uh, so it's underground. Uh, we chose that intentionally because um, uh, the problem with space is radiation. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people worry about 
high velocity projectiles, and that is a concern, but it's not as big a concern as uh, solar or gamma radiation from the, the rest of the cosmos. So, so we wanted to build it underground so that we had at least 30 to 50 meters of regolith over, over our head to protect us uh, from that radiation that's constant and never ending. I mean, even in a lunar night where the sun's not directly shining on the moon, you still have radiation coming in constantly. So, so we wanted to build within the lava tubes and we, we wanted to build uh, something that was um, something that our robotic systems could build semi-autonomously. Um, we're gonna be teleoperating them from Earth, but um, you know, they need to be able to do uh, the construction process uh, without human intervention on the ground. So um, we chose a, uh, a rather simple uh, and strong structure, and that is a, um, a cylindrical high-rise structure that, that goes from the, the floor of the lava tube all the way up to the roof of the lava tube and uh, creates a, a, a very large structure. And when I say large, I mean, it's 188,000 square feet of pressurized space uh, within a 25-story structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this is enormous. That's what, uh, I really like the robotic idea. I love the the thinking big, and I love that it's not um, an inflatable. Um, I, I think that would be a more dangerous way of uh, of doing it. So you're you're creating um, kind of a stand inside the lava tube and making this sort of waddle um, structure around that. Um, how, how would you describe it? Yeah, so, you know, it, it starts on the surface and we're going to drill down and mm -hmm. create a, essentially our center core, which will be our elevator shaft and, and stairway and where a lot of utilities are going to go. Um, but we need to uh, drill through the regolith and, and, and create an entry. We could mm -hmm. potentially go through a, what they call a, a skylight. You know, for the lava tube, which is an, uh, an area that's already been uh, collapsed. Um, and we figured that that's probably not a good reason hmm. or place to go because it, it collapsed, collapsed and it was not a strong <laughs> yeah. area. So we want to find a strong area and then we're going to drill down into it. And then once we do that, we can start to, to build our tension structure within the structure, uh, within the lava tube. Okay. So what sort of technical things do you need to have in place to be able to do this? Because uh, this, is, this, this interview is going to go on the Moon, uh, Lunar, and Martian Construction ISRU playlist for the Cold Star Project. And so if folks want to understand more about the problems and dangers of, of working on the Moon, uh, the, the regolith on the surface is extremely sharp. It tends to cut through filters very quickly or, uh, uh, you know, um, I, I can't think of the thing that Joints. I'm thinking of right now. Yes, uh, gaskets was what I was thinking of, but uh, yes, exactly the same sort of thing. Uh, and it is, it is not what you would call a friendly working environment. So, you know, in order to produce that scale here, what sort of things are you going to need uh, to get to the moon, to, to drill down, to create this structure inside? Right. So, yeah, the, the surface operations are going to come into contact with that of very abrasive regolith. Um, but once we break into the lava tube, then the lava tube um, is relatively smooth and hard and doesn't have any of that abrasive material that is found on the surface. So 
Um, our equipment down there will not have some of those issues with that uh, material. Um, now they have other challenges. We, um, we need to be able to design and build our, our robotics so that they're robust and, and um, uh, can uh, deal with uh, time delay, two and a half second time delay mm -hmm. round trip signal um, so that they can do what they need to do. But the, the elegance of our system is that it's ra rather simplistic and um, the construction process is sequential. So, you know, we're going to do a certain uh, uh, task and once that task is completed, then we'll have a different robotic system that does the next level of tasks. So it's, it's just a matter of uh, building the system robust enough, not only to design, uh, not only to build the first station, but, you know, once we have the first station up and running, people occupied there, uh, miners mining and, and processing that material and the finished goods, then, then building the second and the fifth and the tenth facility with that same robotic equipment is going to be really important um, uh, going forward. So we want to build it robust enough to be able to uh, build more than one facility at a time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and of course, the big challenge in anything like this is the zero to one, getting the first one uh, done, improving the concept. If you look at something like a, a boring machine, like a tunnel boring machine, uh, those things are massive. What are you going to require for drilling down from the surface? So, yeah, that's uh, boring machines are generally built to, to bore horizontally. Mm -hmm. so we're, we're drilling boring yeah. vertically. So, and, you know, we, even if we, you know, um, are able to secure like SpaceX um, Starship, mm -hmm. which can carry up to a hundred tons of cargo, supposedly, eventually, um, you know, a boring machine is, is really massive. Uh, now, uh, the hole that we want to bore is about 20 feet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's, it's not as big as you know, a lot of these boring machines tend to be, uh, but it's not insignificant. And so we need to design it uh, so that it's relatively low in mass and, and uh, small and modular so that it can be assembled on the site and then operate so that, um, uh, so that, um, so that, you know, it can, it can do its task, um, you know, while we're operating it from Earth, mm -hmm. uh, without you know getting caught up and uh, stopping operations, mm -hmm. and it's probably going to be able to. It's going to need to be able to at least fix itself uh, in some way, because you're not going to have a human operator there to pop off parts and put in new bits or something like that. So, right, um, we'll that's be that's monitoring be it with mm -hmm. video and yeah. and other sensors and things like that, and we'll we'll anticipate you know uh, things that could bind it up. Mm -hmm. and prevent it uh, uh but you know you never know until you actually do it and we'll we'll, we'll run tests here on earth mm -hmm. uh to, to simulate that process so that we're not you know going up there totally blind okay bill what is the marketplace need uh, on the business side here that you've identified that says okay yes we should go do this well um you know everyone's racing to the south pole of the moon and for good reason, uh, that's the first place we wanted to go, uh, but there's no lava tubes down there. And our architecture is dependent on lava tubes. So, um, you know, everyone's going to the South Pole because they want to 
mine the water uh, in the permanently shadowed craters uh, and then use that water for either in space human use or to break it down uh, into hydrogen and oxygen for rocket fuel. And so, you know, that's, that's just a resource that's needed for the space infrastructure that, you know, will allow us to all expand into space, right? You have to, once the explorers come back and tell us of, of, the, of the richest of, of, of the unexplored area, then, then the next people that come into place is the, uh, the people that build the infrastructure that allows expansion into that area. You know, think of it as like the railroads, mm -hmm. you know, uh, United States, where, you know, we, we need to be able to move large amounts of people and, and products and things across the country. And so you had to build a railroad system or a telegraph system to be able to do all those things. Well, gas stations are the same thing. You, you know, you build the highways, you got to build a gas station. Mm -hmm. So, so building infrastructure is really the next big thing. So what is the moon? The moon is an un unoccupied space that uh, has many, you know, treasures of minerals and metals and, and things like helium three and water. And so it has lots of basic building materials that are needed in order to build out that infrastructure. And so, you know, it makes a whole lot more sense to go to the moon and, and mine and, and put those things into orbit um, in that, the, you know, it has one sixth gravity of earth. Mm -hmm. you, would, you would only be able to, uh, for the same amount of energy, you can put up six times more mass into, uh, into orbit from the moon than you could from earth. So economically, it just makes sense. Um, so if you want to build the infrastructure of the space, of expansion into space, then then the moon is is the lowest closest lowest hanging fruit now obviously asteroids is better as far as the delta b but they're further away and more mm -hmm. complex and so the moon is you know the next logical space right well who do you anticipate will be tenants then in these facilities that you'll be opening up and leasing so obviously you know if if we're looking for you know mining resources we need lunar miners right mm -hmm. so we're going to going to talk to and we've already talked to uh, several uh, mining companies here on earth that are massive and some are small but you know they're creative and and they know how to mine and and so they're going to want to be able to mine the moon and they're going to need access to the moon so it's better to give them a safe haven in our facility so that they can teleoperate within the confine the comfortable comfortable but local confines of our facility, and then they can uh, go out on the surface mm -hmm. if needed to be able to go and repair or fix or, or analyze what's happening in the field. So, so lunar miners is probably the easiest one to understand. Um, then, you know, my background is data centers. So mm -hmm. uh, the computer uh, internet system has exploded in the last 20, 30 years. And, you know, we couldn't do what we're doing right now if we didn't have that. And that's going to expand out into the solar system. So, so we want to build data centers within our facilities, not only for um, the research and development that's being done on the moon, but also for clients on Earth that want to have ultra-secure data storage or processing that is uninterrupted by anything that's happening here on Earth. So... 
So there's a variety of different tenants that we can use and that marketplace is only gonna grow exponentially eventually in space. And so we wanna have those data centers in place to be able to start mm. doing that work. Okay. Uh, beyond that, you have tourists. And mm. you know, tourists are, are gonna, you know, who wants to go to the moon and stay on the moon for a week, you know? I mean, that's, nobody's doing that now. So, you know, how would you like to be able to do that? All right. So several different potential income streams. Um, and I, I do like the getting rid of the two second delay, secure data. Who's going to go to the moon and mess with your, your data center, right? It's a bit out of the way. We don't have to deal with uh, hurricanes and that. I was business development manager for an IT firm um, a while ago, quite a while ago. <laughs> and uh, offsite, out of region data storage was important for companies who wanted to avoid uh, hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and things like that. Uh, and obviously the moon is pretty safe from a lot of those things. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's no hurricanes on the moon. <laughs> this is Jason Kanigan from Cold Star Tech and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. Right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. Right? The second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company a space company. And that has gone on for a little while, six months, a year, something like that. And it is time as uh, COVID has made it to double down or get out. Those are pretty much the choices, right? It's time to invest further in a thing we already know, which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now. Uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or, or stop, just kill the project. And so the good news is in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert, space 
people who understand space, right, look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. What, uh, what kind of budgets are we looking at? Um, you know, what kind of pool of money do you require in order to get started with this? So in order to get started, um, like any other architecture engineering, you know, construction project, um, you have to design it. You can't mm -hmm. just go and build it, you know, without knowing what you're building. So, so we have a six year design uh, uh, research and development project not only design the architecture and the engineering systems that support the architecture, but also the robotics that are gonna be building the architecture. So we have six aggressive years of, of research and development that we need to do first and foremost, and that's gonna happen in phases. And those phases are gonna be anywhere from 12 to 15 months long. And so the first phase is only about $2.64 million. And that'll get us, you know, to schematic design phase, um, which will define a lot of the requirements and things like that. But overall, you know, we're currently projecting um, the total cost for the very first facility to be in the neighborhood of $1.56 billion. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but if you look at, you know, a professional sports arena, you know, football field, something like that, uh, or if you look at an um, ocean lining uh, cruise ship, those cost about $2 billion each. So, so it all boils down to, you know, its cost and then its benefit or the ROI, mm -hmm. return on investment. Right, and, which is uh, my next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we think the ROI is going to be very attractive. Hmm. And 1.56 is a significant amount of money. But if you have a facility up and running, Here's, here's the important thing I think most people need to understand. While the first one is 1.56 billion, the second one and everything after that is gonna be significantly less because we've already amortized the cost of the design and the, and the robotics and their construction and so forth. So, so that cost gets spread over many, many, many different facilities that we're gonna build. So actually, if you look at it in aggregate, uh, each facility is gonna cost hundreds of millions of dollars each, not much more than that. So that's unheard of for a lot of people, but you, you just need to think broader and deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and longer term, once again, yeah. this, this is something that's gonna take a multi-year, you know, probably the better part of a decade to get up and running in that. Um, how many, do you have an idea of how many people you're gonna to have to employ as operators on the moon uh, who, who are, physically there or is it going to be 100% teleoperated back with that two second delay from here on earth? Well, for the, for the construction phase, it's all going to be teleoperated. Mm -hmm. So we'll have operators in a command center, you know, uh, working the robotics and guiding and, and helping them along the way 24 hours a day, seven days a week for up to two years mm -hmm. uh, through the construction process. Uh, but once it's built and or built to a certain phase where we can then send humans there uh, and you have a pressurized structural habitat to, to work in and, and build out the rest of the interior of it, um, then, you know, that can, that can happen uh, 
relatively you know quickly and easily in shirt sleeve kind of environment um, so you know that's that's our thinking right now once once the facility is up and running um, you know it's each facility will house hundreds of people mm -hmm. and and of course the idea is to have most of those people as being paying tenants but we will need to have uh, people who are growing food um, because we're not going to be importing food mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be growing everything that we need to, to eat and sustain ourselves uh, we're going to be recycling everything um, so you know you're going to need people there who are going to be growing things and and fixing things and maintaining things and and helping you know the tenants and their needs so there are going to be you know staff on 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 site okay and, and do you think dozens of people or a dozen of that core staff just trying to get a mental picture yeah it it really depends you're going to need you know n plus one redundancy mm -hmm. for certain critical things like you know engineering staff you're going to need you know an on staff you know electrical engineer mechanical engineer um, uh, you're going to need roboticists that are going to be assisting the tenants with their robots you're going to need uh, a variety of different things you're going to need a medical staff you know yeah. able to to have uh, hospital, you know, operating room kind of capabilities because, you know, it's a long way home if you have an accident. So you need to be able to take care of medical issues. And, and so there's, there's a lot of things that we still need to determine, but, you know, the staff could be 20 to 50 people out of, you know, five to 700 people within the total facility. Um, so time okay. will tell. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, the factory designer in me, uh, which I'm trained in, is kind of excited about this because it's not enough to just build the box, right? You need to put the machines in it in order to get the end result here. So, and, and you need to do that. Um, you can't just say, okay, here's the space, you guys fill it. There has to be a certain minimum level of infrastructure in there, uh, right. machine shop, medical, things like that, in order to be able to make and repair and um, heal human beings and feed them. So. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty neat. How many how many facilities are you thinking about in the initial uh, bunch of these? We may have covered that a bit so, already, but let's recover it. Yeah, we've we've identified three sites on our website: um, two on the front side and one on the back side. Um, and we want to build uh, facilities in each of those. Now, lava tubes can be tens of kilometers long, and you know our footprint within the lava tube is only a hundred feet in diameter. Hmm. So you know, we can potentially put hundreds, if not thousands of in each of those lava tubes. And there's 62 known lava tubes on the moon. So, um, so, you know, we can build a lot. Uh, and once you have the equipment and manpower uh, and, and the energy sources and, and all that, then, you know, building subsequent systems are going to be faster and easier. Most of the materials, uh, even for the first uh, station, is going to be uh, lunar derived. Uh, we have a, a waterless cement system, which will be the majority of the mass. Um, certain other elements are going to be brought from Earth, but you know a lot of it's from there. And after the first station is up and running, and we have manufacturing going, then you know we'll be able to develop you know 95, close to 100 percent of all the mass needed for those stations right there on the moon. Um, there's certain things that you can't get on the moon 
like nitrogen, which is what we're all breathing right now, uh, mostly. So, uh, but oxygen, there's, there's plenty of that on the moon. It's 40% of the mass of the moon is, is oxygen. So um, that's, that's not a hard thing. Right. Yep. Carl Sagan was one of the earliest people in my childhood to remind us of the blue nitrogen skies of Earth. Yeah. In one of his uh, little speeches there that he liked to give. Um, tell us about the learning and preparation that you've needed to do to get to this point, because you just described a, a number of 60-something lava tubes. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to go. To, well, okay, I would go to class <laughs> to start to see if I could get that from the, the Center for uh, Lunar and, and Asteroid uh, Surface Science thing, whatever it is. Uh, Daniel Britz, who, who I do have an interview with that should come out fairly soon here. Um, who, you know, who, who have you partnered with and what have you had to learn to get to, to this point where you're like, okay, we're confident we can go ahead and do this? Right. Well, so I, for over 35 years, I've been designing and building, you know, mission critical facilities, which are some of the most complex buildings that are here on earth because there's redundancy in electrical and mechanical <laughs> systems, which are structurally hard and things like that. So so I had to learn the trade and, and, you know, because I've worked within the architecture, electrical, mechanical and civil engineering fields, I understand all those ideas and the timing of information and, and, you know, what they require in order to do what they need to do. So I've learned all that. And then I have a very creative imagination. Back in 1983, I, I developed my first uh, robotic systems for designing very large structures in microgravity. And, and these are large enough to spin and create artificial gravity. So, um, you know, I was, I was uh, inspired by Dr. Gerard O'Neill, you know, who wrote the book, uh, The High Frontier. And I couldn't figure out how he's gonna build these things, you know, with miles and miles of glass. I mean, how do you construct that, you know? And so I came up with a different process um, so, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking about new and different ways of, of building things. So that was the first step. And then, you know, the, the most critical thing in any kind of idea is to take it from an idea to something that's actually realizable. And, and in order to do that, you have to gather resources. Now, you know, the lowest hanging fruit of resources is money, but beyond money, you need other things. You need, you need really talented people that know other things that I don't know. And, and so I found some world-class um, space architects and, and lawyers, space lawyers and, and financial people. Um, I've also uh, found, you know, a couple of the leading, um, uh, the country's leading roboticists for robots in space. And so, you know, all these different people are going to be contributing things. And I had to go out and find them and conjole them and, and convince them that this is something that they need to get involved in. And, um, and that, that only continues. We're, we're gonna be, you know, like I said, we're gonna be doing sustainable food production. So I need to find people that can do vertical gardens and mm -hmm. I need to, you know, develop uh, cell-based uh, meat production on the moon. And, and, and so there's a lot of things that uh, I can't do. I can't boil the ocean myself. So I need to gather enough resources of many different types to be able to, to do that. And then once it reaches a certain critical mass, then there's really nothing that's going to hold it back. Um, once you have the money and the resources in place, it just starts to snowball from there. Okay. Well, let's finish up with this then. Um, who are you looking to partner with? What kind of 
what kind of uh, people are you looking to meet in organizations? So partners uh, are also possibly going to be tenants. So, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we want to look for uh, miners, uh, space miners. Um, we're going to look for uh, tourists. We're, uh, we're going to look for uh, data center owners that want to have data centers. Um, but we're also going to need other things in order to help that happen. Uh, you know, if we're going to have data centers, we're going to need to have a, a data relay system. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking with Comstar Communications, mm -hmm. and they're going to be putting up fairly soon a, um, a high bandwidth um, uh, satellite system in L1 or L2 and uh, be able to relay the information from the Earth to the Moon and back. So, you know, there's, there's a variety of different um, partners that we need, but those, uh, those are the easiest ones to identify at this time. As we progress, there's probably going to be many more that we haven't even thought about yet. Okay. Well, I like that you're very clear about, you know, I don't know what I don't know, <laughs> which is something that a lot of people have a hard time figuring out. Um, so it's a, it's a great place to start from, be able to say, I don't know about that particular area. How can people get a hold of you if they want to contribute or find out more? Where's the best place to go? So we have a website, www.united-space-structures.com. And um, there's a wealth of information there. There's a 60 second video that uh, shows you know, the architecture and the kind of things that are going to go in it. Um, there's the locations on the, on the website as far as the locations on the moon that we're going to be uh, building on. And, um, and that, that website is only going to continue to grow, um, you know, as, as we develop. Um, we've got other ideas for surface structures and we're going to uh, still have ideas for uh, in space uh, structures and uh, un unmanned uh, manufacturing uh, plants in low earth orbit. So, you know, this is just the beginning of a, of a longer story. So I would, I would check out the website uh, and through the website, you can always contact me and uh, let me know how you want to help or if you want to be a tenant or if you want to be an investor. We're fundraising and will be for the next six years or more. So, uh, if you're an investor and you want to get in the space arena and you want to do something significant, contact me. Right. This is it. This is it. And I personally cannot wait until we get some sort of orbital construction platform up there. Uh, I think yeah. it's a very necessary next step. All right. My guest has been Bill Kemp, CEO and founder of United Space Structures. And uh, we'll have the link to the website in the video notes below. Thanks for being here, Bill. Thanks. Appreciate it, Jason. <laughs> right. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the program. Thanks a lot for listening to The Cold Star Project. If you want me to send you new episodes of The Cold Star Project so that you don't have to go hunting around for them or watching YouTube or anything like that, go to this page, coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring, which is what we're all about. And uh, drop in your email address there, and I will be able to do that for you. Make Space Boring is another little show that I run. It's a shorter format, quick interviews, and uh, news of the day, and sometimes an update of who I'm meeting and what I'm learning in the space field. It's on the same Cold Star Tech channel. Speaking of which, on the YouTube channel, I can do something I cannot do on the audio-only version, which is add playlists. And so there may be topic area playlists on the YouTube channel 
that you would be interested in digging into and going down the rabbit hole and learning uh, more about. For example, space law and policy, space situational awareness, the lunar mining and construction and fun stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, that is at coldstartech.com play. That's the short link to get there. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I look forward to talking to you soon.